Two of my friends and I, all three early twenties females, were hiking around Yellowstone. This day was really busy at the park, and we ended up driving around until we could find parking lot that wasn't as busy. We found one that was off the beaten path a bit, and there were no cars in the parking lot. We got out of the car, looked around, grabbed our gear and headed out. One of my friends, caller her Sarah, and I were taking a photo as well the other friend, Sylvia, started walking ahead of us. So we finish taking photos and we go to start trying to catch up to the two Sylvia. And as we're trying to catch up, and I look across a little opening, and I see a man in a bright blue rain jacket. I thought that was odd, and thought maybe another trail connects to this one. But I tap Sarah and say there's another person on the trail. But by the time she looked, the person in the bright blue jacket was gone. Sylvia, at this point, was at the tree line, waiting for us before she went into the wooded part. Finally, all three of us are together, and we start walking in the wooded part, and it's very quiet. Nothing but nature sounds, and I start to get this feeling like we are being watched. We were now where I would have saw the man in the blue jacket. We finally exit the wooded part, and we come to a big opening that's sort of muddy and swampy. I start going ahead because I just want to get out of the woods. And I notice as I'm going to get out of the woods, and I notice as I am going to head on the boardwalk, there's no footprints. The area was really muddy, so there's no way that anybody could have crossed this boardwalk and not left either footprints in the mud or wet, muddy footprints on the boardwalk. So I stopped and I looked behind me, and I see my friends still standing at the opening of the wooded area, and they were motioning me to go back to them. So I turned around, and I meet them at the opening of the wooded area. Sylvia leaned in and said that soon as we got to the opening of the wood area, she started to get a feeling that she was being watched. I asked Sarah if she had told Sylvia about the man in the blue jacket, and she said no. At this point, the fact that I had the feeling of being watched in the wooded area, and Sylvia, who had no idea about the man in the blue jacket, was feeling watched in the no footprints on the boardwalk. We were all very creeped out. We then heard a car pull up in the parking lot, as we still weren't very far from the parking lot, and we hear doors open, and we hear kids laughing and slamming doors, and mom and dad tell them to get their water, and all of that. We decided right then and there that if we could hear people in the parking lot, we should be able to hear the man in the blue jacket walking and or see him. The three of us hauled ass back to the car where we looked in once again. The three of us hauled ass back to the car where we looked, and once again it was just us and that new family that I just pulled up. As we were leaving, Sarah told the family what had happened to us. The mom and dad decided not to take their kids in there, and we all left that parking lot. To this day, I couldn't tell you what that hike was called or if anything had happened there at the park. But all I know is that I should have trusted my gut when we are in the wooded area and I think the fact that my friend got the same feeling of being watched, that was a second chance to turn around. I was about 17 years old and my friend Tony Sanderval was the one who had seen the Bigfoot. I would have never believed him if it were not for the one fact that he went straight home to his uncle who sat in a tree all night with a gun in hopes of shooting the Bigfoot for the bounty. Tony's uncle was older than us high school kids and was known to be quite the badass. So I would believe Tony saw a Bigfoot before I would believe he would trick his uncle into sitting in a tree all night. 
We used to hang out at the creek quite a bit, as we liked to pack guns with us at the time and we liked to shoot. Being out in the woods gave us the freedom we wanted at that time. I do not quite remember why or exactly who, but I believe it was. Brian O'Donnell and Tony Sandoval, who went up the road a bit to get some pot. I believe they took a motorbike and one went on back while the other drove. Well, within minutes, they were back and they both seemed very shook up, shouting they had seen a Bigfoot. Oh my God, they are real. Brian kept shouting. I told them they were full of shit and probably saw a bear. Brian then said to me, Wayne, do you honestly think we would go get Tony's uncle to sit in a tree all night over a bear? Still, I was hesitant to believe it until I saw what took place next. The two boys got right to business. I mean, they showed up on the bike, shook up and told us about it, and instantly split right over to Tony's uncle. They all showed up about twenty minutes later, or as instantly as they could get from one place to the next. That day, I did not go over to the place where they had seen it. But when they came back, after having gone there with their uncle, they told me they found a hornet hive broken into and a stick was found with teeth marks on it. Brian told me he believed the Bigfoot used the stick to dig something out of the hornet hive that he ate off the end of this stick. They found footprints, and we all came to the conclusion that they, Bigfoot, had to come down to get water due to the drought. If you look at records for the year, I'll bet there was quite the drought in 94. I just remember it being a very hot summer, and I remember that summer a pond in Sunny Valley was almost dry. This pond had never dried up before, so I would say this year was hot one. I also know to this day both kids stick to the story that they know what they saw was not a bear. I myself know for a fact that whatever they saw was not a person in a suite just because of the place and time. I also feel like these two believed what they were telling me, even if I myself did not. This would have been at the beginning of El Nino. Not sure on spelling, anyway. The cycle is going again soon, so perhaps we can use this to our advantage. I will say this. I believe the boys saw Bigfoot, and I believe they were correct on their reason for it, having to come down so low. I think we can almost predict when they will have to come again. That being said, perhaps we should set up a venture... I used to live in northern Wisconsin, a ways north of Minocqua. Our house was against a mostly endless chunk of forest, and I used to go walking all day with my dog, some lunch, a compass, and a point twenty-two, just to plink away at squirrels or whatever varmint. One fine day, I had ranged particularly far into a mossy low area with soggy ground. The forest had that eerie stillness that seems unnatural that humans don't like. I came out into a clearing with a slightly raised area and saw a goddamn shanty town. It was this cobbled together town. I shit you not. Had a little main street and maybe seven, ten buildings. One of them was even two-story. I stayed still for a minute, and my dog knew to do the same and just watched. I decided it was actually a nice place. Clearing let a little sunlight in. The shanties were decorated with those leftover carpet squares. I could see Christmas light strung up, probably for light, not festive purposes. Nothing moved, no sounds. So I took a few steps in, gun in hand, not on shoulder. 
I leaned in the doorway to the first shack. It was well lit via some windows, and it was clearly an apartment. Some candles and a bunch of shitty magazine. It had a bed, a makeshift bookshelf, and makeshift kitchenette. There was a bit of uneaten food that had not yet rotted on the bookshelf. That last one really caught my attention. I usually go quietly in the woods, but I hadn't been approaching with stealth in mind. Looked at my dog, saw a ridge of hair on his back. At this point, I felt very foolish and conspicuous. Decided it was time to GTFO. My 22 wasn't going to stop anyone, and it was, of course, a rifle. Poor for close quarters against multiple moving targets. So me and the pooch noped the F out of there. After we were about 500 yards, we jogged for about 30 minutes just to gain distance. We made sure to cross a few streams and alter course a few times. Later in life, I did a mission to go back there. This time, I approached with stealth in mind, no dog, and a different gun. No shanty town, all gone, but I could still clearly see signs of where the shacks used to be and their community fire pit. I assume they went deeper. I had just finished running some errands in town and was making my way back to my secluded cabin in the woods. The sun was setting, casting a warm orange glow over the trees as I pulled into my driveway. Little did I know that my life was about to take a terrifying turn. As I unlocked my front door, I was immediately struck by the sensation that something was off. The air inside my cabin felt heavy, as if it were charged with electricity. I stepped cautiously over the threshold, my eyes scanning the room for any signs of disturbance. That's when I noticed the disarray. Drawers were pulled open and their contents were strewn about haphazardly. Before I had the chance to process what was happening, I heard a voice behind me. Don't scream. Don't call the police. I won't hurt you if you cooperate. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest. Slowly, I turned to face the intruder. To my shock, I found myself staring into the eyes of Eric Rudolph, the infamous bomber who was the subject of a nationwide manhunt. My mind raced, trying to comprehend the surreal situation I found myself in. Despite the fear coursing through my veins, I managed to keep my composure. What do you want from me? I asked, my voice trembling slightly. Rudolph's expression was tense, but there was an unexpected politeness in his tone as he spoke. I just need some food and self-hygiene supplies. I don't want to hurt you, but I can't let you call the police or tell anyone where I am. As I looked at him, I could see the desperation in his eyes. It was clear that he was on the run, and my remote cabin had provided the perfect hiding spot. With no idea where he might be or what he was capable of, I felt I had no choice but to comply with his demands. Over the next several hours, I provided Rudolph with the items he requested, all the while trying to keep my fear at bay. He maintained his polite demeanor throughout our interactions, an unsettling juxtaposition to the knowledge of the terror he had inflicted upon innocent people. Finally, as the night wore on, Rudolph gathered his supplies and prepared to leave my cabin. Thank you for your help, he said, his voice calm and even. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Remember, don't call the police. With that, he vanished into the night, leaving me shaken and disoriented. 
I live near Muskegon, Michigan, close to the Lake Michigan shoreline. Over the past two years, several neighbors and ourselves have witnessed many weird lights above the lake. During the last week of April, there were several strings of red and white lights moving north above the lake. I noticed the lights twice on different nights. The man across the street contacted a UFO group. I don't know the name of the group. He told my son that he had also seen unusual people in his backyard from his bedroom window late one night. When he went out to confront them, they were gone. This happened just two days after he filed a UFO report online. On two consecutive nights, my son and I saw spotlights shining from the shore of the lake. There was a field, a narrow road, and a berm between our house and the lake. It looked like the spotlights may have been mounted on vehicles. On both nights this occurred around 11 p.m. and lasted for only a few minutes. A few days later, May 4th, about 2 p.m., I was out in the backyard working in my garden. A man dressed in black military garb had entered through my back gate and walked towards me. I stopped what I was doing and waited for him to say something. He wore glasses that were tinted yellow, which stood out because everything else on him was black. He also wore a plain black cap. There was no insignia. When got close, he looked directly at me, without expression, and asked if I had noticed lights over the lake. I explained what we had seen and any other information I thought would help. He wrote everything down in a small notebook, rarely saying a word other than anything else. When I finished, he asked if I had reported the sightings. I told him the man across the street said he contacted a UFO group, then asked, but did you contact anyone? I said no. Then I asked him what group he was with. He just looked at me and said, thank you for cooperating. That was very weird because I felt that there was something not right about this man. I guess it was intuition, but I was creeped out. On Saturday, May 9th, around 10.30 p.m., there were more lights coming from the lake shoreline. This time I decided to walk over and see what was going on. My son, who was 17, came with me. He was just as curious as me. We walked through the yard, across the field, then over the berm to the shoreline. There were five black Land Rover, like vehicles about 100 yards south along the shoreline. There were also a dozen or more men in black garb moving about. As soon as one of these men noticed us, he shouted there and came running towards us. He had a three-feet-long light-colored baton with yellow light on the end. Two other men came running towards us as well. The man with the baton yelled, You must leave at once. This is a national security operation. My son asked who they were, but never received an answer to that question. One of the other men, who I believe was a superior, said, You must leave the area immediately. Go back to your home. A representative will contact you in a day or two. We agreed and promptly left and went home. I have not been contacted by anyone since that night. My son and I went back to the shoreline and looked around, hoping that we could find something that could help us understand what had happened. There was nothing. I believe that they may have discovered something of importance, just by the way they reacted to us. Is there any way of finding out who these guys were and what they were doing? During my time as captain of the Standard Oil Company steamer Dakota, I had an incredible experience that I will never forget. It was July 11, and we were sailing back from Manila 
when we were sailing back from Manila when my mate called my attention to what he thought was a whale on our port bow. As we approached within about 100 feet of the creature, it became clear that this was no ordinary whale. In fact, it hardly resembled a whale at all upon closer inspection. This massive creature measured 40 feet long and 10 feet wide, with a cavernous mouth and eyes as large as locomotive headlights. As I stood on the bridge, I watched the creature intently, captivated by its fierce yet kind gaze. Just as we came almost alongside, I recall the creature turned its head toward the ship, revealing the most ferocious face I had ever seen. The mouth seemed like the entrance to a railroad tunnel, and despite the intimidating appearance, there was a gentle look in its eyes. As we continued to observe the creature, it suddenly rolled its eyes and disappeared beneath the water's surface. Unlike a whale, which would have dove headfirst and waved goodbye with its tail, we never saw this mysterious creature's tail at all. To this day, I am not sure if it was bidding us farewell or inviting us to join it on some adventure below the surface. Having spent many years at sea, I had never encountered a creature quite like this one. In the ship's log, we recorded the encounter at latitude 45.30 north, longitude 152 west, as evidence of our extraordinary brush with this enigmatic creature of the deep. I'm not sure if I am hyper-aware or paranoid, but I've had several weird things happen recently and hearing many others with similar stories do. First, several months ago, I was in a shopping center and a man walking towards me on the sidewalk said, Hey, you dropped something. I looked him in the eye but kept walking. I knew I hadn't dropped anything. About 30 minutes later, I went downtown, a few minute drive from where I was before, and walking in a busy area with a lot of restaurants. Another man said did the exact same thing, only this time he was aggressive and rude yelling at me for not giving him a response. The second weird encounter was while walking my dog on a grass area behind my apartment. The city owns the land, however, I have never seen people walk around there. As I was walking out of a little wooded area there, my dog abruptly turns around and barks at a man. He acted very surprised when I turned around, and my initial thought was that he was following me. He asked me if I had seen a cat, and then laughed. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was nervous, but I felt weird for days after. Who laughs when they are missing their pet, though? And the last encounter was in my office space I rent. I have neighbors in the building, and specifically a new one interacted with me. He came to my door and knocked, and started to tell me about himself. He told me he doesn't have friends in the office building. Neither do I, because I'm only there for work. Our conversation was pleasant, but then he said I asked, name I can't remember. Which car you drive? I never get to see you here and wondered he asked for my contact for my business, and I was reluctant between giving my email or phone number. He acted so frustrated and said just give me one or give me a card. Honestly, I was nervous and just blurted it out. Honestly, I was nervous and just blurted it out in hopes I'd never interact with him. Again, when I didn't respond to a message from him a few days later, he came back to my office while I was with a client. He slipped notes through the door and I decided to tell him politely I was too busy and not accepting new clients. Friends I've talked to say to me to trust my gut and keep my distance. I don't leave my office without walking with someone or calling someone or... I'm just tired of being on edge. 
The war-torn village in Ukraine lay in ruins, its once vibrant streets now haunted by the echoes of destruction. Our Navy SEAL team, under the leadership of Mark, ventured into this desolate landscape on a covert mission to gather crucial intel in the aftermath of the devastating conflict with Russian forces. Mark, an unconventional leader with a knack for humor and occasional gambling, provided a unique dynamic to our team. As we scoured the area, inspecting the bodies of fallen soldiers and civilians, a sense of eerie anticipation hung in the air. It was then that we unwittingly stumbled upon an entrance leading to a hidden underground lair. Curiosity mingled with caution as we descended into the depths, our senses alert to any potential threats. What awaited us in that subterranean chamber defied all reason and comprehension. A monstrous cryptid, a grotesque fusion of a giant snake, a ferocious werewolf, and adorned with menacing antler horns, emerged from the shadows. The creature's mere presence exuded an aura of malevolence, its eyes gleaming with primal hunger. A battle of survival ensued as our training and instincts kicked in. We fought with valor and determination, exploiting every weakness we could find. Through a combination of strategic flanking, blinding the creature, and relentless firepower, we managed to bring the beast to its knees. However, victory proved to be short-lived as our celebrations were cut short. We quickly realized that we had been surrounded by Russian forces who had been lying in wait for us. Outnumbered and outgunned, we were swiftly captured and taken into captivity. In the dark confines of our prison cells, we grappled with a mix of frustration, anger, and fear. Questions swirled in our minds about the nature of the cryptid we had encountered, and how it came to be in that hidden lair. Our priority now shifted from survival against the creature to finding a way to escape our captors and ensure the safety of our team. Days turned into weeks as we endured the harsh realities of captivity. We devised plans using our training and resourcefulness to exploit any weaknesses in our captors' defenses. Finally, an opportunity presented itself, and with calculated precision we launched our escape. Under the cover of darkness, we fought our way to freedom, using the skills honed through years of training. Our camaraderie and unwavering determination propelled us forward, overcoming obstacles and evading pursuit. With each passing mile, we drew closer to reaching safety and delivering our vital findings to the NATO base in Germany. As we regrouped at the base, battered but triumphant, we reported our encounters with the cryptid and the harrowing ordeal of our capture. Our revelations sparked concern among NATO forces, igniting discussions about the true extent of the Russian threat. Our mission was far from over. We had survived the clutches of both a monstrous creature and our captors, and now our duty called us to continue the fight. With renewed resolve, we prepared ourselves for the next phase, knowing that the secrets we held could have far-reaching implications for the conflict in Ukraine and the stability of the region. This is a true story. About two years ago, my boyfriend at the time and I decided to go on a hike right before the sun set. Which, yes, sounds dumb, but it's something we had done multiple times before with no issues. There was something about the eeriness of the woods at night that I liked. 
Not so much my boyfriend thought. To start our hike, we had to go through really tall plants and bushes. We were practically in the middle of nowhere. About a mile into the hike, we came across some abandoned structures and sat down to take a breather. I'm not sure exactly what my BF said to make me do this, but as a joke, I whistled and said, See nothing whistled back. We're alone. Not even twenty seconds after seeing that, we heard a whistle. It was a bit of ways from us, but still too close for our liking. We immediately started booking it in the opposite direction of the whistle and didn't look back. After running for as long as we could, we realized we were lost. We wandered around for about ten minutes before we stumbled across some train tracks that led back into town about a mile or two down the way. It's important to note that these tracks had thick woods lining both sides. The right side is where we came from. At this point, we were walking as we had run out of energy and felt safe. We were wrong to assume that we were safe. We were wrong to assume that we were safe. We got to the point where we could see the lights from town maybe a quarter to half a mile away. Down the tracks a little bit, we could very faintly see the outline of what looked to be a deer coming out of the right side of the woods. It stopped in the middle of the tracks and just stood there. I attempted to shine my flashlight note. This flashlight was pretty dim. It was a random one found in the back of the junk drawer. On it, but as soon as I lifted my light up, it fled. Now I say fled because ran would not be an accurate way to describe the way it moved. The best way I can describe it is that it looked like it had four broken legs and its body was very low to the ground yet it had unbelievable speed. It almost looked like a, a bent and twisted monster out of a horror movie. I shined my light into the woods to left of us as that's where it had ran, and when I did I saw two glowing eyes that looked to be at least ten feet in the air. My boyfriend said, What is that? in a very concerned tone. I told him I don't know. Don't look at it. Just run. We ran and ran until eventually we reached town and walked back home. This happened about two years ago, and I've tried to come up with logical explanation after explanation of what I saw that night, and still to this day, I can never find a solid logical answer other than it being something paranormal. I refused to believe what I had seen for a long time, but I know what I saw, and I know I'm not crazy as there was another person that witnessed the same thing as me. My Biff never spoke of it again, and refused to speak about it when I would talk about it. I never went hiking at night after that day. I remember opening my eyes and being in a very dark forest. I had nothing but a flashlight and was walking in a set direction that I had no explicable reason for doing so. I looked around and noticed there were other people very close by to me with flashlights and were also walking in the direction I was. From what I could infer, we seemed to be a search party of some sort. There were three other people besides me. An average-looking couple that was composed of a man and a woman, and a grizzled-looking veteran man who stayed behind us. I assumed this was to make sure we didn't fall behind. This man reminded me a lot of William Bill Overbeck from the L4D video game. He struck me as the kind of person who was experienced and knowledgeable. Anyway, as we walked for a bit, I suddenly heard the veteran man yell out in horror from behind me. I turned around along with the couple, only to realize he was gone. The couple and I ran. I ran because in my head I was thinking, if the most experienced person just got taken by something, 
What the F was I going be able to do? As I ran, I heard the woman scream behind me. Tears were forming in my eyes. I didn't even look back this time. I just heard the man yell and run back after her, only to hear him scream shortly afterward. I was terrified remembering it clearly, tears in my eyes and seeing my own flashlight bob up and down as I tried to haul ass through this endless pitch. Black forest. Eventually, nothing happened. I felt as if I was running for a while. I was sick of it. Whatever this thing was, it was behind me. I stopped in my tracks and took a deep breath. I turned around and shone my flashlight forwards, and there it was. This thing looked horrid, gangly and pale grey. It had very long and thin arms. The worst part of this thing was its face. It had these empty pits for eyes, just large black holes. Same thing with its mouth, just a gaping abyss. It just stared at me before it started making these horrid sounds. It sounded to me like it was trying to breathe, but it was immensely labored, or had an obstruction blocking its airway. The best way I can describe it was like Satan crossed with a pug, trying to breathe, and it was very loud too. I felt cornered, but I was sick of running. I took a stance and raised my arms. I wanted to show this thing I wasn't scared. That's when it hit me. I couldn't move. I couldn't raise my arms. And this thing knew. It slowly, methodically trudged to me, making those god-awful sounds, and stopped right beside my ear. I shut my eyes tightly and opened them again. It was gone. It is important to note when I did this. It felt like I woke up, so I was confused as to why I was in a forest. Hell, I still had my flashlight. Only to hear the most blood-curdling scream imaginable, coming from straight in front of me and this thing burst straight from the thicket, barreling towards me, arms outstretched towards me. Right as it was about to get me, I woke up. I was hyperventilating for some reason. I thought this thing was in my room, looming over my bed, watching me. It was only when I felt my dog beside me, I calmed down immensely. I calmed down immensely and fell back asleep. I woke up the next morning.